Welcome to another episode from Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. This week, I'll give a shout out to the Kansas Jayhawks and a golf buddy I call Polly Walnuts. Also, a new segment called What is Annoying Me This Week? And of course, the only way to start the first episode in our last and final season is to talk about the 2022 Masters. The 2022 Masters was a tale of three seasons, from the beginning rain to the Saturday cold and wind, leading to Sunday's 70-degree walk in the park. Most golfers' games reflected the change in conditions with some feats of absolute brilliance, followed by bone-aching mishits and ballooning scores, all for maybe one exception, the Jersey Texan. Scotty Scheffler. He is having like a 2015 Spieth-like year. Last fall, he played on the U.S. Ryder Cup team as a captain's pick and never lost a match. He went 2-0-1. Steve Stricker, the U.S. captain, saw something in this kid, and man, was he right. We certainly saw it this year. I mean, that might have been his booster. I mean, how could you not bet on this guy? I didn't. I bet on Rom. That was a mistake. But you just never know how golfers are going to show up and play, except for Scotty. I mean, this guy comes to the Masters as number one in the world after winning three events, you know, in the last six weeks. I mean, that is incredible. He wins the three events and he comes into the Masters and it was Spieth-like. He won with heroic shots and knife-stabbing chip-in birdies. There's a lot to remember about Scotty's performance this weekend. His blasting drives down the center of the fairway where his feet slip out from underneath him, that's just his way of generating speed. He's, he's like the next Arnold Palmer. You know, I think JT is probably like the next Tiger Woods. Who is going to be like the next Freddie Couples? I can't wait to see that. Anyway, Scotty's blasting drives. He's throwing darts into the greens. When he is making putts, the balls are going dead center into the cup. All of those things I'll remember, but the one shot and the one moment I think I'm going to remember the most is Saturday. Cold, windy day, freezing day, and he gets to 18, and I think he's 10 under, and he's leading the tournament by four or five shots. And he duck hooks this shot. He like double crossed him. He wanted to do a fade and he just double crossed himself, puts it into the woods. Now everybody's searching for the ball. He finally gets up there and they find it. And it is behind these bushes that's right next to this tree, which would suggest it's going to be a very tough decision on what to do next. So he pulls a ref over to look at it. And he starts deliberating. Do I hit it from inside the woods, try and knock it out as far as I can, knock it up on the green, make the par putt? Most of the guys that I've played with over the years would have taken that option. 
they would have tried to bang it out as hard as they could to get it somewhere on the fairway so they could make par. And in all of my memory, I can't remember anybody making par from inside the woods like that. Typically, it's a double or a triple because typically what happens is when the ball's in the woods that deep, it's most likely going to hit another branch, another tree, get caught in a bush, and now the next shot's going to be even harder than that one. But what impressed me about Scotty is he pulls an official over, and now they're looking at the options. And the first thing he does is he marks his ball in the woods, which is smart. Because if you start moving things around and that ball moves, that's a penalty. That's a stroke. So instead, what he does is he puts down, he marks his ball. He picks it up. He looks at his options. He's not going to hit it from inside the woods. So he takes two driver club lengths, moves it out to the rough, and now he has some type of shot out. But he's still three and a half feet from the woods and a tree behind him. So what's, what's he going to do? He's going to lose a stroke. He's probably going to um, hit it somewhere up on the fairway, try and hit it on the green, and maybe one or two putt. Bogey or double bogey. That's kind of what he's looking for. Instead, he pulls out a long flat stick, and he hits that shot. Even the announcers were like, wait, he's not laying up. He's got a long flat. You know, he's like, they're now seeing what he's doing, and he hits this shot. 264 yards away. He's got to get the green is elevated. He's got to go over two bunkers and he's got to land it somewhere over there and keep it on the green. First of all, who's going to hit a 264 yard shot with like three and a half feet with a tree behind him? Nobody. Well, I bet there are a handful of pros out there on Sunday that could have done it. But the fact is, Nobody was nine or 10 under in that, in, in those conditions. Scotty was. And the reason he was able to do it and he had this confidence is he was doing it all day long, all tournament long. So he hits this shot and this ball must have hit 10, 15 yards from the pin, rolls off the back. He chips up, gets up and down and makes a bogey. And to me, that was huge because it showed that he was smart enough to think through all his options. And I think he took the best option. And then he made a miraculous shot that basically told the field his confidence level was sky high. And before Scotty made his decision on which way he was going to go, he starts asking the official all these questions. That to me, I thought was under pressure. His head was on straight. I mean, he basically asked every question a tour pro should to make sure that his next decision doesn't penalize himself. I mean, the I didn't know it was a rule is not a worthy defense. That's like saying, Your Honor, I wasn't aware that crossing the state line, obtaining an AK-47 and bringing it to defend myself at a BLM rally and then shooting three people was a crime. Okay, well, maybe that's a bad example, but I think you get my drift. Scotty asked a lot of really good questions. First, can I mark my ball in the woods to determine how to do the two club lengths? Great move. Where can I drop my ball? Can I clean it or replace it? They let him replace it. You want to replace a ball if you can. Number one, it probably has scuff marks on it from hitting the trees. Number two, it's bad juju. And then last, 
Can I check the ground in front and behind my ball with these tees to see if I could feel any roots in my path? When you drop your ball and there is a root in its way, you get to redrop it. Okay, so he does all that and then pulls the shot of a lifetime. And on Sunday, he was challenged by Smith. Smith was on him all the way and they were going back and forth. And I really thought the Australian was going to pull some magic. I think he birdied the first two holes, first two or three holes. He made a statement. And but Scotty had his head straight. And when he gets to the third and he chips it in for a birdie, it's like, bam, I am in the game here. But when you get to 12, and now Smith gets to go first. And how many times have we seen this? I mean, we saw Tiger make a 10. I don't know how many years ago it was. We saw when Tiger won, three of the other guys in front of him hit it in the water. So now it's Cameron Smith's time. And he hits a shot and he's watching it and he just knew, bam, in the water, triple bogey. From that point on, Scotty knew he had him. Now, what Scotty didn't know, but he could probably hear was all the roars in front of him. Rory was making this tear, ends up eight under par, gets to 18, double Sandy, and then hits the ball in for a birdie. I mean, that's triple junk when you play with my buddies. It was incredible. And then Marikawa right behind him chips in from the sand. And you could hear all those roars. And I'm sure Scotty could hear all that. But I don't think he's looking at the leaderboards. And I think he has a good enough caddy to tell him when he needs to turn it on or not turn it on. So he gets to 18. He has five strokes ahead of the field. He is just birdieing holes left and right. Gets up on the green. And you could see he is smiling from ear to ear. And so when he gets to putt his balls, he puts three balls past the hole. He's nervous, but he's got a five-stroke lead on the field. You know he's going to knock it in. You're just not sure when. But you could see the just how he felt when he put the last putt in. Scotty Scheffler played probably his best golf ever at the right time, and that's why he won. And, of course, how can you review the 2022 Masters and be void of a Tiger mention? You can't. Many of us who've played, coached, or are fans of sports understand that good players play through pain. That's what separates great players from good players is the fact that they work through the pain and they still win. As some of us age, pain management takes a much greater role than it did in our earlier years. Some of us even remember going outside and playing our favorite sports well past sunset when we were kids. And then when we become adults, we go on these golf trips where we play 36 holes a day, hit the bars until the environment was no longer target rich, and then make it to the course in the morning just in time for our tea time. Do you remember how you felt at the end of that weekend? That's nothing compared to what Tiger has to endure. Hours of physical therapy, ice, heat, ice, stretching, ice, practice, stretching, ice, strict diet. Now pile on his sponsor and foundation time commitments and 
he goes up and makes the cut at Augusta. And he scores 11 birdies over the weekend. It was plain to see the limp in Tiger's gait and some wincing after some of his off-balance hits. What drives somebody to endure that much pain and sacrifice? And when I think about it, I don't think the why he does it is as important as the fact that he's doing it and setting an image for his brand. And his brand is perseverance. I just wanted to give the KU basketball organization and fans a shout out. My son, Matt, went to college there where he discovered his love of music, entertainment, and most of all, KU basketball. He was so into KU ballin' that he picked that old sport back up again. He played in junior high school, didn't play in college, picks it up again and becomes part of the KU intramural program. And then his senior year, his team wins it. Now, KU intramural b-ball is a haven for high school A and B players that either chose not to play D1 ball or were unchosen. I mean, it was a big deal and Matt ate it up. So when the KU ballers in the final game of the NCAA tournament come back from the biggest first half deficit in NCAA finals history, they also showed perseverance. Very Tiger-like. Rock Chalk Jayhawks. I'm doing call outs. I forgot to mention that another one of my golf buds at Charleston National, a guy I call Paulie Walnuts from New York City, made a hole in one during our Saturday morning matches. Now, Paulie's a golfer like me. Every time he tees it up, he envisions hopeful shots and a happy ending. In the Saturday game, we have a greenie contest as one of our bets. Closest to the pin that day for all of our 20 or 30 or so golfers wins cash. So what happens is the first of the five or so foursomes brings out the closest to the pin stake. And if someone in that group gets on the green and is closer than the other three, they put their name on the placard and put the stake on the green where their ball came to rest. So why am I going into this painstaking detail about something most of you who golf have experienced because of part of Paulie's story was about where he placed the stake after making his hole in one. First of all, congrats on the ace. (laughs) 
Placing the closest to the pin stake is always a dilemma. Let's say you hit a great shot. Your ball lands right in front of the pin, two or three feet in front. And you go up there, you write your name on the closest to the pin, you make your putt, and then you put the stake where your ball came to rest, a few feet in front of the hole. When the next groups get up and they have to hit, it's going to be virtually impossible for them to get a hole in one because your stake is going to be in their way. So what did Paulie do? Paulie talks to his buddies and takes the stake and puts it behind the hole, maybe a foot or two. And so when the next guys get up there and they're looking to see, wow, whose shot was so close? They'll get behind the hole and they'll say, hey, it was Polly Walnuts. Hey, congrats, Polly. But here's what happens. Polly gets back in the clubhouse and he's celebrating. He's having a few drinks. This, this was certainly his first hole-in-one at Charleston National. I still haven't gotten mine yet, but at least now I'm going to know about the stake rules. So he's celebrating. All the guys come in and one of the guys comes up and says, Polly, congratulations. He goes, hey, did you put that stake behind the pin? And then Polly's like, hey, man, of course I did. I didn't want to put it in front. So I put it behind so nobody's ball would hit the stake. And this guy makes an interesting point. He goes, well, let's say I hit my shot. It went over the pin, and because I put so much backspin, it spun back and hit your stake that you put there, stopping it from going in the hole and then nullifying your hole-in-one because we're playing closest to the pin, two-tie, all-tie. And so Paulie's like, hey, did you? Did you hit it? He goes, no, I didn't. And it's like, okay, you didn't. But this guy's kind of right. So what I think... If anybody ever gets a hole-in-one in these closest-to-the-pin competitions, you write your name on the placard, and then you take the stake, and you walk it off to the side of the green, probably where, you know, that would basically indicate to people nobody's hit it on the green yet. So when the next groups go up and they hit some shots, they're thinking, hey, mine is closest to the pin, because... Because they could see the stake is off the side of the green. And then when they get up there and they read, hey, Polly Walnuts, hole in one, they're going to go, motherfucker, great for Polly, but the, what I thought was the closest to the pin is not. And what do those people do? They're going to take that stake and put it off the green as well. So each group that comes up thinking that their shot is closest to the pin because the stake is off the green gets rudely awoken when they see Polly Walnuts, hole-in-one. <laughs> Motherfucker. So I'm playing in a foursome with the llama last Sunday, and he makes a suggestion for a podcast. After both the Wisconsin Slammer and I hit our putt short for the second hole in a row, he's like, Hey, why not do this segment called What Annoys Me This Week? And I like the idea. But before I go to that segment, I've got a funny story about the llama's dad. So I make this comment to the llama after he did something. And it, I wanted to you know, talk about the parable of the young bull and the old bull. And I think you kind of know where it ends up. So I look up and I see llama's dad with no expression on his face, 
behind his Oakleys. And I'm thinking, oh, did I just step out of line here and say something in front of his son? I don't know. Sometimes you meet people and you don't know what the relationship is between parent and child. So you're not. And I would tell you, they have a very cool relationship, right? So he doesn't look faced, but basically he's just kind of staring into the green. You know, maybe he's thinking about his next putt. I don't know, but it had nothing to do with my comment to his son, the llama. And he looks at me and he goes, Hey, look, I'm just a 17 year old boy in a senior's body. And when he said that, I looked at him and I said, I think we just became best friends. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. On the count of three, Name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it. Just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Velociraptor. Favorite non-pornographic magazine to masturbate to. Good housekeeping. If you were a chick, who's the one guy you would sleep with? John John Samos. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. Like I always say, great minds think alike, or small minds seldom differ. Either way, we were thinking the same way. So in this week's segment of Things That Annoy Me This Week, oh, it's definitely pussy putts that never have a chance. Even when Scotty four-putted the 18th green with a five-shot lead on the field, each of those putts were hit hard enough to go in the hole. Actually, they all passed the hole. It's one thing to underestimate an uphill putt and leave it short. I mean, it takes skill to impart more energy on some putts than others when their distance is the same, but maybe there's just a cant to the green. Uphill putts require more of a determination and held follow-through than other putts. It's almost like your putter head continues to direct the ball to the hole even though it made contact seconds before. What annoys me is when I leave three consecutive putts short, almost like I'm worried about ruining the bottom of the cup with my ball. The problem might be that I have drained more second putts that were short than I have drained comeback putts that were long. And once that gets in your head, it's just hard to fix. There are two things to focus on in putting, accuracy and distance. And when you hit it short, you know you got one of them wrong. It's distance. But the other one, you might have gotten right. You even say to yourself, if I would have just hit it harder. But when you blow it by the hole, now you got both of them wrong. And then when I leave it short... I hear every partner I've ever had in my life sitting on my shoulder saying, never up, never in. And all I hear in my head is, blast it pass and you'll be harassed, you freaking ass. At least now I have something to work on. So next week... Pussy putts won't be my problem, but I'm sure there's going to be another problem to talk about. As much yoga and as much meditation as I do, I'm sure there's something that's going to annoy me next week, and we'll all hear about it.
And as always, some of my stats might be off and some of my scores might be off, but I think you get the point. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.